0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Live from Pawnee. I'm Alan, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you doing today? That's
1: right. One large pepperoni with cheese. Yep. No order of breadsticks. Oh, hi. Hi, Alan. Uh, I didn't see you there. Um, <sighs> I was I was just having our intern, uh, Constantine, order a pizza for us. Do you want me to add extra pepperoni?
0: Mark, you know I'm a vegetarian for like 25 years.
1: Oh. um, Well, does that mean I can have your half of the pizza?
0: but you haven't even ordered that's fine mark i'll just take some breadsticks excellent okay
1: yeah constantine go ahead and place the order okay ah oh good help is so hard to find these days
0: yeah or good hosts pizza wait what (laughs) nothing well you know mark there was such a um mark what is that noise is that you
1: but, um, yeah.
0: What are you doing? Are you eating chips?
1: I, well, look, the pizza won't be here for another hour,
0: and I'm, I'm hungry now. Sorry. <clears throat> All right. Well, you know, Mark, there was such a flood of positive responses from our viewers that we decided we would revisit Mailbag Day again this week.
1: That's awesome. You know, every day here at LFP Worldwide Headquarters, one of the first things we're asked is, please go through your viewer mail. It's really starting to pile up in the mailroom."
0: Mark, I doubt they're telling you that the viewer mail is piling up since A, they're not viewers, and B, it can't physically pile up because our format is digital.
1: Well, mm-hmm.
0: uh, don't tell me. Have you continued to have Constantine write out audience questions on paper?
1: I didn't ask him to do it. He wants to do it.
0: Yeah. Oh my God, Mark. Look, after this show, we need to have a talk. Yeah, I know. Okay, enough of that. You wanna get started, Mark?
1: Yeah, let's do... Wait, Alan, what are you wearing?
0: Oh, this this shirt. Um, yeah. This is our live from Pawnee merch.
1: Oh, that's awesome!
0: Did you know we had merch?
1: I actually had heard rumors. I actually yeah, heard it from Constantine.
0: Constantine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he he <laughs> called me the other night, and apparently you didn't answer your phone. And he said, "Hey, uh, uh, Alan, can we have uh, some merch on the website?" Yeah, is that what he said? <laughs> and I said. He did. Uh, he's Italian this week, so I said, "Constantine, that is such a terrific idea. Um, I'm going to go get the team of graphic designers who created all of the excellent art for LiveFromPawnee.com and have them create a T-shirt for us."
1: That is an awesome idea. He is so, yeah, so smart. Yes, if you go to Live you
0: From, can, he, he you can is. learn a lot from he, him.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, so could you? Um, if you go to LiveFromPawnee.com. <laughs> Uh, and and find the the link to our merchandise. You can actually right. check out and see what we got there. So anyway, enough of that. Let's let's get to the mailbag. I'm anxious to do this.
1: That is a really cool shirt, though. By the way, seriously, I oh, I, no, I, I think much. I'm gonna I'm gonna need that shirt, maybe in a slightly larger size. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, that's my joke. <laughs> I know. I'm I'm just a joke sponge these days. All right, should we get started?
0: Let's do that. All right. All right. Here's the first one that Constantine transcribed for me. Dear Mark and Ellen, why is Anne with Andy at the start of the series? And why did it take her so long to break up with him?
1: Mm. Oh, that's a good one. That's kind of a thinker.
0: It is a thinker. What do you think?
1: Um, I don't, if I can help it. No, I, I would <laughs> say um, I have Constantine do my thinking for me. That's what he's here for. Um, you know, it's, so let's think about it from the very top, right? On the one side, you have Anne. And and I think you would agree we look at her as you know, she's sweet, she's thoughtful, uh, she's employed, she's you know, responsible, <laughs> mature. She's got everything um, going for her. And uh on the other side, you have Andy, uh dim-witted, uh kind of thoughtless. Uh, but he is goofy and fun-loving. I guess we could we could include that. Um and <sighs> You know, you say opposites attract, so, I mean, I could see a little bit of the appeal, I guess. Um, Anne has always been, I think, one of the more positive, uh, likable characters, at least for me, uh, in the the series. Um, But it seems like she has a bit of an Achilles heel when it comes to uh, just being a doormat and not standing up for herself. And and maybe I'm looking at that too much from the point of view of knowing her relationship with Andy, but, um, you know, I, I think that that goes to her own detriment. And so I could see how maybe, you know, Andy being with her, if she got a little complacent, she could just be like, yeah, you know what? It's not that bad. I guess I'll live with it, you know?
0: You know, it's interesting. I I, I agree, first of all. And second of all, I think I bet, I bet anything that if, roles were reversed and uh leslie were with andy and the circumstances were the same she would give leslie advice that would say something like hey um you're you're putting a lot more into this relationship than he is is that working for you um and yet she can't see it for herself i think i think that's interesting
1: oh that's a great point yeah that she can she can give out the uh good advice, but she has trouble taking it for herself or whatever for for her to self-diagnose. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you Um, remember in practice date too, I mentioned the piece that was in the script that we we didn't ever see on the screen, but we learn, we don't know the origin. We don't know how they got together, but we do know that at some point, um, you know, historically, so they had been together at least three years. Um, So, um, that was mentioned literally in the script. That's a and long so, time, right? Well, and then you got to assume there's some time on top of that history. So maybe four years? I don't know. Something right. like that. You know, interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, really, it's it's tough to answer that and like, cause and, and not make it sound like you know I'm in favor of and being with Andy because I'm definitely not. But I mean, in season one, let's face it, Andy rated pretty high on the D bag scale. Yeah. And, and, you know, especially early. Yes. Especially early. And even in season two, I don't know that he's on the D bag scale per se, but he's definitely weird. I mean, he definitely hasn't gotten his act together, you know? Um, And the only thing I would say is he's definitely not boring. I mean, I know that that sounds like damning with faint praise, but in a weird way, maybe that compliments and who can, arguably be viewed as reserved and Little
0: reserved no that makes sense and you know he's a musician you know he's in a band Um, I'm sure that that had some appeal to it and we don't know the we know that Mouse Rat has been around long enough to have about 14 names at this point so you know it's very likely (laughs) that maybe that's how they met who knows, at a bar when he was playing and, you know, and then one thing led to another. And like you said, I think she tends to maybe if her, her expectations for herself are lower enough, she she's just kind of, you know, just making it work.
1: And I guess I, I, it sounded like when you read this question, it, it sounded like there were kind of a two parts to it. Like one is why is she with him? And then
0: two. Yeah. Why did it take, it take so long to break up with him? Right. So, you know, here we are, we're, we're midway or we're, we're getting early. So here we are. We're a little bit into season two. And, um, you know, I think at this point, I think it's maybe the second episode of season two where they are officially, officially broken up. Um, the stakeout, we, you know, we, you know, Andy's been outside kind of living in the pit, stay close to her to protect her <laughs> and sure. uh, from crazy people. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, like people would live in a pit. And right. um, so it's officially over. And so, you know, that's what episode eight at that point. So, yeah. um, you know, and if the question is how long, and this viewer probably didn't know about that script uh, you know, that indicated three years. So it's even probably longer than they think it is the, the person asking the question. So yeah, yeah. Why did it take care so long?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, how we answered the first part of the question can inform, I think the second part, which is well, why did it take her so long to break up with him? Well, it's probably some of the same reasons why maybe she, um, I don't want to say allowed herself to be with him, but why she maybe lowered some of her standards to be with him. Um, you know, if, if she likes the fact that he's um, fun-loving and goofy, well, that would right. explain why she wouldn't be breaking up with him. I, I think that... Um, like there's an example um, of, of, I think, Anne being content with the way things are. Now, you know, remember episode two, uh, Alan canvassing the one where Grumpy Mark Your came out? Your favorite episode, yeah. It's my favorite episode. Well, if you recall, Leslie had the town hall meeting and, you know, and, and all sorts of shenanigans happened there. And one of the things that happened is that Anne and Andy were there and and Leslie kind of wanted Andy there as um that's right as a as a a a symbol for for the pit project because she wanted him to be there to kind of uh gain support and sympathy for the pit well instead of uh instead of being the poster boy for a better pawnee Andy ends up getting in a fight with neighbor lawrence who we both know and love um and and his behavior is kind of like a high school jock who is is taunting the less cool guy and during all this and is right there next to him and just sits there and does nothing, which I realize I'm kind of going to extremes to you know, rationalize this, but it seems like she's just like, yeah, that's Andy. Like, you know, yeah. there, there's nothing I can do. So I'm just going to sit here and go and shrug my shoulders. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Well, I bet over whatever period of time this officially is, um, you know, three years isn't canon obviously, cause it's in a deleted scene and we know how you have set that rule out for us, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I have to mention that at least once uh. every episode now, but, um, so it's a long time, a long enough that, yeah, why, why did it take so long? So for me, I work backwards from, okay, well, what finally did it? What was the straw that broke the camel's back? Uh-huh. And, you know, it's this realization uh, that Andy could have gotten out of his cast a lot sooner than he did, but, you know, he kind of likes it when she makes him dinner. So, you know, that, that for her was it. She was at that point, I think, even though it took her a little, you know, half an episode longer to finally do the thing, um, You know, he would have had to had a really good answer to what that question, the question posed to him, for her to have forgiven him. I think she was already done.
1: Oh, and and you know what else occurs to me, and this is something that you said in a, in an earlier podcast because we were talking about something like akin to this, and you mentioned the fact that if if Anne had been fed up with Andy prior to him being completely healed, I think that she mm-hmm. would have felt very guilty because clearly. That's true. It is, it is her house. He does not have his own, you know, uh resident, right. And uh, his own place to live. And so him, her breaking up with him would be tantamount to her kicking him out, which would mean that like, where is he going to go? And if he can't even take care of himself as if his legs are broken, then I think she would have felt really guilty about that. But once he was actually up to walk around, I think those particular gloves or shoes were off. <laughs> um, so <laughs>
0: Yeah, I guess to put a button on this uh, our bow on this, I I feel like it's very likely that three year comment that was in the script didn't make it didn't get shot because I think you got to really wonder if it would have could have gone on quite that long with him being the doof that he is lovable and whatever, you know, there's that childish side of him that really comes out strong in the first episodes and, you know, we were both at that point commenting on God, man what a what a dick right (laughs) right he's really taking advantage of her and it's hard to watch and hard to watch you know you just kind of want to shake her and say what are you doing um so (laughs) so three years probably didn't become canon because you know it's not realistic in in the real world i think this is one of those 18 24 months things and then you know and moves on because that's the right smart thing to do Agreed. if only she hadn't gone to a brandanowitz but anyway we'll talk about that another (laughs) time
1: <laughs> uh, that that's a whole other podcast um yeah all right well i feel like we talked through that pretty well you want to move yeah. on yeah what do all you right? got let's see um let's see how about this one um oh this is good uh dear mark and allen does everyone from parks and rec have a comic background
0: oh that is an excellent question i like that um uh, i know of a few uh, I uh,
1: well I, i'll tell you how i think about this
0: yeah how do you think about it mark
1: how i'll uh, Cause that's, that's important is how I yeah. think about it. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that it's uh well, first of all, the Parks and Rec has a really, really deep bench. You know, yes. I think we can agree with that. Like uh, compared to, uh, Seinfeld who is yeah. essentially, yeah, they have guest the spots on the show, yeah. but it's essentially those four
0: characters. It's the four. Yeah.
1: Parks and Rec has like eight. I mean, eight? It, it, it's, it's a huge bench.
0: I think I think later by the time Rob Lowe and Adam Scott get there, it's it's about eight, yeah. That yeah, yeah, that's eight good. or nine actually at that point, probably.
1: Um, so pretty deep. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say when considering this is I I think there's a difference between someone who is explicitly trying to do comedy and and may on the way take some acting non comedic roles versus someone who is more pursuing acting per se. And then part of that might or might not be taking comedic roles. It's like, what's your what's your intent and focus? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, Um, which came first a little bit, right? (laughs) Right, right. Um, I mean, sometimes they start as a stand up and then those stand up opportunities get them noticed and then they have the opportunities to do either television or movies or both. And sometimes it, it, like, you know, and singings like this, too, you know, sometimes singers become actors and sometimes actors become singers. I think it's the same thing with the comedy and the acting here.
1: Right. Right. So, like, I'll, I'll give you an example. I know this is someone that you've made comments about in the past and, and how good of an actor he is Paul Schneider. Yeah. Um he's very talented. He's he's been uh, an actor for quite some time. He's been in a lot of stuff. Um I would not say he has a comic background, so to speak. Uh he may have inadvertently had some roles that were funny, but I I wouldn't think of him like that. What do you think?
0: I think that's true. I think he has principally been in Comedy films, although some of the films he's been in and TV series, um, you know, he, he has tended to play the straight guy again, because I don't think he brings the the thunder when it comes to the the comedic influence, but he's a great straight person to play off of. There, there were some comedy movies that he was a part of, like uh, The Family Stone, um, I think uh, Lars and the Real Girl. Oh, yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. But he was also in uh, the assassination of Jesse James and uh, Live Free or Die, which, you know, those are not comedies. Right. Um, he did. He did a thing in Drunk History. That was pretty funny. That was that was very comedic.
1: You mentioned um, something recently, wasn't it called Tales from the Loop?
0: Tales from the Loop is the most recent thing I've seen him in, and it was an Amazon original sci-fi, and I highly recommend it. Not just because of him, but just in general, it's it's a thinker, and um, you know it's 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 unique. It uh, I like sci-fi, and it's it's very unique in that genre for sure and enjoyable. So I highly recommend it. But yeah, you're right. He's he's not a typical comedian, and there's quite a few others here who aren't typical comedians.
1: So I think I think maybe approaching this list from Let's let's do the easy ones first. Yeah. At least this is how I think about it. So, Amy Poehler, I mean, good lord, she's you know Saturday Night Live, Second City, uh, you know Upright Citizens Brigade. She clearly has um, a comic background, so I think that's a definite yes. Aziz Ansari, uh, he you know has been performing comedy since uh, the beginning of the 2000s, um, and he is specifically a a comedian and did stand up. So I'd say he's definitely a yes as well. Correct. Um, and then you have the interesting trio, I think, of, of Nick Offerman, Aubrey Plaza, and Chris Pratt, who I think, I know this wasn't the, the, how the question was structured, but, you know, I think each of those three became like just freaking breakout characters in their yeah. own right on Parks and Rec. And at the time <clears throat> that they were cast, I think they were virtually unknown. And Nick Offerman had acted a little bit. But and I shouldn't say a little bit. I think he was making a fair living at it. He wasn't really known.
0: But um, he was a bit actor. I mean, if you yes. if you look at some of the people who follow him and the things they post, like oh I forgot Ron or you know Ron, <laughs> I forgot Nick was in this. Um, there I did it again. Um, these people are who they play on TV. They're not real people. Um, <laughs> like there would be you know. Um, Gilmore Girls, there's an episode with Nick Offerman in it. There's, you know, he just he he's an occasional character actor, for sure, leading mm. up to this series. And that's I think point. this series is really where he finds his comedy platform in a major way, um, certainly on TV.
1: Right. Yeah, that, that's a that's a great point. Um, I, I think I think something similar could be said for Chris Pratt, except that he was even more of an unknown than, than Nick Offerman was, and I shouldn't say uh, no, no I don't mean that in a bad way, but just he, you know, Nick Offerman wasn't a household name. Yeah, you know, I and and Chris Pratt even more so, I believe. Um, and whereas I think uh, after Parks and Rec, Nick Offerman had his choice of comedy roles or comedy voiceovers or whatever, Chris Pratt. Like a little bit of that but he also had his choice of other roles as well i mean you know freaking guardians of the galaxy now he's funny in that but it's not really a comedy it's not a
0: comedy right
1: and and he's had a lot of other movies as well that i don't think would be considered comedies um aubrey plaza is of those three that i mentioned and just to top that off uh, yes i mean she definitely has a comedy background she's she's very young when she did parks and rec but you know she was an Upright Citizens Brigade right. uh, since 2004, I think. She's done stand-up at the Laugh Factory and the Improv. So I'd say right. her in the same vein as Aziz Ansari has a, has a comic background. What I
0: think, think that's true. Well, an Upright Citizens Brigade, I think, is certainly a thing with, with Amy Poehler's, you know, um, she's a co-founder of that. And it is a route into Parks and Rec for several people, for sure, including her. Mm. Um, they were not in it at the same time. Um, you know, I think Amy had already kind of moved on to bigger stuff, but, you know, having founded it, but co-founded it. But um, Aziz and um, Aubrey Plaza both had a stint at Upright Citizens Brigade.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't realize Aziz had gone through there as well. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then I think, I think the only other people I would make mention of, because I think we've talked about most of the cast, is... Uh, you know, Donna and Jerry. Yeah. Oh, wait, they aren't the people that they play. Uh, so I would say Retta <laughs> and Jim O'Hare. Um, I, I think, you know, in a similar vein as uh, uh, Nick Offerman, they weren't really known at the time. Uh, but, you know, also in a similar vein to, let's say, an Aubrey Plaza, I think they specifically were were attempting to focus on comedy, like both mm. of them. And And if they took a role that wasn't comedic, meh okay but that was probably incidental to what their interests were you know right
0: but they were they were both in the world of comedy in their own spheres right i mean i know Retta did literal stand up i don't know that jim o'hare did but i think he did things that were comedic right
1: she yeah i think jim o'hare was um i think he did a, a he was in a comedic troupe like an improv troupe. So gotcha. I, I mean, I, I think he did things of that ilk. I, I, That's a great question, though. I know, like you said, Reda did stand up. I don't know that Jim O'Hare has ever explicitly done stand up, but I, I, I think it can be said they both have a comic background.
0: Agreed. And it's interesting you mentioned improv, too, because we, we did also talk about this in practice date a little bit. I mean, the the improvisation on this show, um, it is pretty big, you know, how much is scripted versus how much is ad-libbed um this show leans heavily much more heavily than the office for example uh, which is by the same creators office is 97% scripted mm-hmm. i this is in my mind and what i've seen and heard and read you know high 80s low 90s but much more uh, they're taking advantage of these people with these great improv backgrounds for sure
1: oh sure and and even like you've mentioned in the past um Chris Pratt, who has yes. no no yeah. improv background at all, turns out pretty good at it.
0: Yeah. It must be horrible being him. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. So um, we, I don't think we mentioned Rashida Jones. Oh, that's a
1: good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You know, that's a tough one because, I mean, Alan, you and I obviously know her pre Parks and Rec from her being on The Office. Right. And-
0: And she's here, same character, in witness relocation. Stop it.
1: Stop (laughs) it. Take off the foil helmet. Um, (laughs) Jeez. But I I think it would be hard to say that she wasn't good in the office. I enjoyed her in the office. I think that she definitely proved that she could rub shoulders with other funny people. And it would be hard to imagine that her... Success playing Karen in The Office didn't contribute to them wanting her in Parks and Rec. Um, sure. So, the real question is prior to The Office, did she have any comedic background? And I'm gonna say, not really. I mean, kind
0: a little, of like, like it all, but not yeah? as a comedian. It, hmm. Again, it's in more she might've had a guest role in a comedy, but that in my mind doesn't make you a comedian. I mean, I think one of the oldest things on her spec sheet, if I remember is uh, freaks and geeks. Um, She's Uh one episode of that. And that was certainly, you know, that coming of age comedy um, created by Paul Feig, who Uh also directed a lot and became a co-producer of the office along the way. And obviously the office and, you know, Greg Daniels and Mike Schur and Paul Feig and, they they all have deep ties to ultimately Parks and Rec here. So it's no wonder that, you know, Rashida Jones kind of wound up in both of those and then here ultimately.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I didn't, I was not aware of that. That's,
0: that's fine. Well, and I think we, we've we already talked about, you know, if we get another chance to do a, a, another mailbag episode, we might talk more about some of these con- these connections, how the one show fed another and oh, how yeah. these creatives kind of find each other and know each other from, you know, like Rashida Jones went to Harvard, yep. um, you know, and and she, that's how she met Mike Schur. They're like good buddies. Huh. So, um, you know, so again, it wasn't that one Stenum on freaks and geeks that got her in, it was probably that relationship that got her, you know, at least introduced to the casting agent. Uh, again, Allison Jones, both these same shows and many others, you'll find her name attached to it. So we won't talk more about that today, but I, I think that would be fun to talk through all the, you know, the spider web of those connections at some point in the future.
1: Oh, definitely. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Agreed.
0: Okay. Well, we have time for another question.
1: Yep. Absolutely.
0: All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, Okay, here's one. Um, what do you think of Mark Brandanowitz? Is he a good guy or a bad guy? Mm.
1: <laughs> oh. I well,
0: you know, know. I, I think I want to hear your answer, Mark, but I think it's a it's a good time to talk about him because, you know, we're going to meet some other people who are going to be here for the long haul. Um, spoiler alert um, Paul, Paul Schneider is not going to be, right? He's mm-hmm. going to be here pretty much for the rest of this season, and that's it. So, right. Um, So what do you think? I mean, you know, we've talked about him a lot up until now. And I think if I remember and been tracking, our opinions have changed.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I I could take the weenie approach and say, well, he's not either. He's, He's not a good guy or a bad guy. He's just a guy because he's human and he has all, but no one wants to hear that everyone wants it everyone wants divisive opinions like is he a good guy or a bad guy and then
0: fight yeah me, black you
1: know and right? white so, boom yeah <laughs> there you go nailed it um you know i i think that there are several times that i was tempted to think of him as a in quotes bad guy because i was tempted to compare him to some of the other males on the, the show with, uh, you know, Andy kind of being a clear D bag and very selfish and, 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 thoughtless and, and Tom being kind of a sleaze. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I would think, well, gosh, you know, if he has some sort of, you know, likeness to them, I guess, do we lump him in with those yahoos? but, you know, I think that there's, I think it's probably unfair to do that because, I think that you know on Andy's part, I don't think he has any remorse for his crappy behavior or very little. If, or if he if he does have remorse, it's very self-serving and and you know manipulative. Um and and Tom seems to be so oblivious in in the way that he hits on women, it's hard for me to I mean, you know, even though I think we've we've found out that, you know, his his marriage is a sham. Um, right, that uh, puts I, I, things I don't know. in
0: a different context, doesn't it?
1: I suppose so. And yet, he's still so over the top. I'm like, you know, if because I would think to myself, if I saw True. ever saw Mark doing that, like if I saw Mark hitting on women in the way and to the degree that Tom does, I would be like, dude, you're a jerk. Now Tom gets away with it because he kind of has his fun loving Tom way about him. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I don't think I've seen Mark be that bad like he he has some questionable decisions but
0: true well there's some dialogue that would indicate that he has been historically right i mean i think it's it's tom who through some form of weird kind of like dude worship, you know, <laughs> wants to be Brandanowitz because he's got such a great track record with the ladies or whatever. Right. And, you know, the Tom aspires to have, but doesn't because, you know, he, as he says, he's never sealed the deal and both him and his wife are disappointed in that. So, so um, yeah, I, 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 but it, but we never see it. So we didn't have lived through it, thankfully, but you're right. I mean, it's not quite the same.
1: And, and, you know, Mark's definitely shown some, some poor decision moments like, you know, sleeping with Shauna Mulway tweet within three hours of meeting her or making a pass at both Ann and Leslie during the season one finale. Yeah. He probably could have made, you know, better choices. And yet, yeah, yeah, he's, he's also shown, I, I would argue more moments of kindness, compassion, and thoughtfulness. I mean, the, at the end of the pilot episode, um, he cashes in his favor to Ron in in order for Leslie to get her, her pit subcommittee. And, and this allows, you know, the main plot of the early show to even exist for it to be born. And you got to think Ron, he could have asked Ron for probably a lot of stuff and for him to choose to cash it in for that. That's really sweet. You know? So I don't know. I, I think he does have an awareness beyond just himself and he's actually a decent guy that just has flaws.
0: Do you I think? think that's fair. And I think, uh, no, I agree. But by, by the point we are here, where we're four or five episodes into season two. I've gone from really disliking him to kind of liking him a little bit. And, you know, um, again, I, you know, kind of story or future, future forecasting here, you know, we haven't gotten to this in our, podcast yet but for a lot of folks who've watched the whole series and are maybe re-watching with us you know that he's going to leave the series um there's a good number of people out there i think by the time he does leave he got a a a raw deal and they wish his character had stayed i i think ultimately i get that i understand that point of view i think ultimately that makes room uh for you know the two additional characters uh to come on later and Uh really kind of solidify the cast for the rest of the series run um and you know but I, i don't i don't know i i we talked about mark early on maybe having been the jim halpert you know archetype for right uh for for parks and rec um and we both said no no nope. <laughs> and, and many others agree with us that nope that's a mess if that's where you were headed a uh, nice try but it didn't work and really the same with you know uh, amy polar kind of maybe being the 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 female version of steve carell and you know leslie being michael um that didn't work either. And they course corrected. Right. So again, I think that's what any good writing team does. You start with one idea. And if it works, you work it hard. And if it doesn't, you you, you start going a different direction. So that's what's going to happen. Good point.
1: All right. Well, I think we've we've kind of danced with that question about as much as we can. <laughs> I don't know that it really has an answer, but I think we did as good as we're going to do.
0: No, there's um, no right or wrong answer. So, um, and, and probably same uh, true with whatever next question is. Do, do you have another question for us?
1: Yeah. I, um, uh, do we have enough time? Can we do
0: one last question? Yeah, I think we have time for one last question.
1: Okay, awesome. Um, let's see. How about this? Um, Dear Mark and Alan, what are your favorite tropes so far in the show?
0: Uh Right. Mark, let's remind our viewers at home, what's a trope?
1: Um, you know, I think of tropes as running gags uh, in, in, in its simplest okay. form. It, it's something that that can be funny on its own, but you do it again, but slightly differently. And not only is it funny in and of mm. itself, but it's, it's something that the audience has grown to expect. And they like it when it appears again and again. There you go.
0: Yeah, I like that. That's a good way to, uh, you make a deposit each time, and maybe that just is enjoyable to watch.
1: Right, right. It's it's a familiarity, and it's, uh, it's one of the things that I think this show does exceedingly well. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you one of my favorite tropes, I think, for Parks and Rec, and this is something that stayed with me from the first moment I ever saw it. And I don't think I I thought of it as a trope. I think I thought of it as just a really funny, odd little thing that just like a hook that kind of stayed with me. And that's where Tom Haverford does his ridiculous fourth wall breaking open mouth grin to the camera, just smiling as wide as can be because he is so tickled by whatever just happened. Um, And it's something that I got to the point where, whether I realized it or not, I was always looking for it. Like, oh, there it is, Tom's tickled, you know.
0: Um, I mean, it's akin to kind of... Well, I was going to say it's akin to an April look, right? You know, um, April, like you said before, um, can do so much with just her face, um, you know, Aubrey Plaza, uh, without any oh, dialogue yeah. associated with it whatsoever. I mean, that's, that's you know, similar type of trope, right? There's the, the April Ludgate look. In fact, I believe there's a Facebook uh, social media group called April Ludgate looks.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it.
0: Yeah. 100% April memes. So, you know, it's, there's enough of them out there. You come to expect them and, you know, they, they show up in different ways and um, there's always, you know, if they're creative enough, then they're, they're certainly memorable. And I think it's the same with, with, with the Tom, you know uh, I don't know what you would call it. Fourth wall grin. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah.
1: That, and that's, I think there's something that I really like when this show in particular gets, Meta. I, I don't know why there, there's just something very interesting to that whole concept of you know when they do because it's like one thing if they do talking heads because you can imagine like okay right. it's it's just they're just filming the show like they're filming a show but if someone talks to the camera while they're with someone else who goes hey are you talking to a camera it's like now that starts to get my wheels turning like what are they doing here I kind of it's kind of weird but I kind of like it you know
0: I know. Um, well, and it's it's interesting because they play it both ways. They play it where the person they were talking to before they were talking to us through the camera notices and also uh-huh. notices the camera, or that that person never notices the camera at all. But that person just broke for a moment, talked to the fourth wall, and went back to what they were doing. And they're both <laughs> funny depending on how they do it. Um, and they, they do they do they do both types for sure, both country and western. So. <laughs>
1: i'll tell you one other uh trope that i really like is uh and i think they did this from the very first episode is uh the murals that are that are hanging in uh, city hall um i i and, and i like it because they often work on two levels you know like you usually um we're given a description. Often it's like a narration by Leslie. She's describing what, what it was about or what it depicts or why it was made or whatever. And that can be extremely funny just in and of itself. And the second level is sometimes just the the, the, the visual representation of the, the, the physical mural itself. Um, like I, I remember in... Um, I think it was The Reporter. So season one, episode three, yeah. they had a, a mural called The Trial of Chief Wamapo. And <laughs> the description was funny enough and you know it could stand on its own for sure. But to me, I, I, could, I could not get over the visual impact. And maybe I watched too many cartoons now as a kid, but this reminded me of a Looney Tunes cartoon because you have this, an, an Indian chief that's tied to a tree Okay, whatever. And the soldiers are going to kill him to death. And so then, all right, it is what it is. It was that time period. So then how it's going to happen is they have a cannon that has got to be like the size of a Kodiak bear. And it's not like they're (laughs) fifty feet away, and we're going to fire this monster weapon, and which would demolish everything anyway. They have it like ten inches away,
0: maybe ten inches.
1: Complete overkill. (laughs) It's just ridiculous. So, uh, it just makes me laugh.
0: Well, and I think by this point, you know, if we're four, five, six episodes into season two, how many have we seen? Do You know, have you have you been counting?
1: They were, they were five? somewhat consistent. Yeah, it may be five. They were somewhat consistent in season one. um I want to say we got out of season one with, I want to say four. Yeah. And then maybe we've had once one more since then. um So yeah, that sounds about right.
0: Well, you know, it's funny, and they're they're kind of absurdist paintings, and they're usually about the uh, tragic history of Pawnee that we are now embarrassed by. That would have been something mural worthy in the past, but not necessarily politically correct today. Right. Um, I remember reading an article, and and I think someone posted it on Twitter or, or one of the the socials. Um, you know, they, they said. Pawnee mural number, whatever, question mark. And the answer was no. Um, I think it's South Dakota, one of the cities, maybe Sioux City. There's there's an actual place, one of the town halls there has murals like this. And one literally had to be removed because people found it so offensive. I mean, it's like real life parks and recs. So um, I I don't think that, you know, this is not all that far-fetched. Maybe having 11 of them is far-fetched, but um, not that there's one that, you know, doesn't resonate today like it did in yesteryear.
1: Well said. Yeah, that's that's something, though. I mean, it's, it's not quite as far-fetched as you might think for that to happen. No,
0: not at all. <laughs> I think one of the tropes I, I like, um, you know, is... Um, as you know, we've established that Leslie and Anne have this great relationship and it's, it's you know, blossoming and at the beginning, you know, they, they kind of like each other, but, you know, uh, but Leslie, you know, thinks Anne might be a little, you know, stuck up and uh, Anne thinks that Leslie's a little bit nuts, um, but doofy, but sweet, right? And, right? um But now this, the, their friendship is really blossoming and starting to have hooks and you're starting to understand it. They, they've started this series of Leslie-Anne compliments, which really goes all the way to the time Anne leaves the series um, and they just get more and more creative every time. So that's another one I think we're tracking, you know, in terms of, of, of tropes. Right. Right. Um, band names was another one. Mm. Um, you know, Mouse Rat, I think in one of our more recent episodes, we gave the full accounting to date of the 16 or 17 names that Mouse Rat has had. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. Right. They started as Mouse Rat, meandered around five or six different names, back to Mouse Rat, some mm. new names. And I think at that point, probably in Rock Show, we're back to Mouse Rat again. So um yeah, so that, that's another trope that's been in there that we've enjoyed as well.
1: I'm trying to think that <clears throat> there there are a couple others that stick with me, but I don't have a lot to say about them. I'm one that one that I always strongly associated with Parks and Rec, even though they haven't really done a ton with it yet, is the raccoon problem. Oh, true. And I think that I think that one of the things that made that stick with me is that the very first time that we saw, which, again, I think was episode three, The Reporter. And they had just like a four second clip of of Leslie. <laughs> uh, it, it, somehow a raccoon, Alan, a raccoon has gotten yeah. into City Hall and so yeah. the raccoon's just kind of hanging out there in the hallway, maybe looking at the murals. I don't know. And then. Leslie sees it and goes, no, 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 it is pointing at it is angry and angry and pointing at it and saying no, and then just runs from the door and the raccoon is just kind of bored looking at her. Um I think that left a, not a, what's the opposite of a scar?
0: Uh, a mark.
1: I'll <laughs> well, see, there you go.
0: There you go. Mm. It, like the dark mark but a good one mm, so, yeah well you yeah. know the, the you're not the only one associating the raccoons with with Pawnee for sure I mean it's kind of a thing out there and uh, there's a guy that has you know they I think have were kind of deemed the raccoon whisperer um, who's he him and his wife found some baby raccoons and um, they started caring for them and kind of trying to nurse them back, you know, to hopefully let them be free and wild again. And um, I, I think around the time that that was starting to happen, his wife passed away and she made him promise that he would, um, you know, take care of those until they were gone. But what's happened since is literally dozens I, in fact the video i watched there must have been maybe 25 26 different raccoons Oh my uh, he's gosh. feeding them hot dogs um but he's called the raccoon whisperer and he's they've even got you know some um some campaigns out there to help him raise some money to to feed these raccoons but he's kind of become the raccoon guy and it's on pretty much every uh parks and rec you know board out there uh, the raccoon meme and oh i even, bet yeah even on nbc <laughs> Yeah. So
1: Um, the last thing I can think of to, to say like regarding tropes is really, I'm just curious about your opinion. You know, that, um, how we've talked about how Parks and Rec has jump cuts as a, as a technique that they do yeah. a lot. Yeah. Now I, I love the jump cuts and I think they're very effective. So in your opinion, I don't know, would you consider that a trope or not so much?
0: I mean, it is mechanically, it's not necessarily, um, thematic, right? Because you can use them for anything. They use them really well. Um, I think the single camera documentary piece established, you know, Office was first chronologically. So Mm. I know they did the same thing there. They didn't do it as much as, you know, they kind of became a regular bit to a much bigger extent on Parks and Rec and probably used more effectively. They both have talking heads, um, which they both use really well I might argue that some of the offices talking heads are better than Parks and Recs, but this this piece, if you want to call it a trope, and I'm good with that, um, yeah, I mean they definitely use it a lot here, and it's always funny. And I think again, it's fed by this particular cast's ability to ad lib because of their largely, you know, comedic background, you got so many good stand-ups here, ad-libbers, uh, that they can really just do that. Let the camera roll and like Aziz Ansari will just go nuts. And, you know, right. we see maybe five in the, or three or four of them in the actual, you know, cut. Um, the deleted scenes, there's five more and then there's probably 30 more that never even made it <laughs> into either of those reels because uh, they good said point. you spin him up and it takes him a long time to finish up. <laughs> <laughs> he's like the energizer bunny and, oh my you know, gosh and i've seen him with leslie as well and april and some of her you know and beauty pageant you know yep. she did some of those asides and i think every character has done them to some degree at this point and they've all been effective so i'll i'll, I'll consider it
1: <laughs> the the judges will allow it
0: there you go the judges will allow it excellent all right well, I think that about does it for today, Mark. I think next yeah. week we're, we're going to resume our normal pattern and walk through another episode of Parks and Rec.
1: All right. I can't wait.
0: I know it's going to be good. Next week we'll be back with Sister City and I look forward to walking through that episode.
1: Yep. Me too. All
0: right. We'll see everybody next week. All right. Bye everyone. Bye. Live from Pawnee is a copyrighted production of The Creators. Copyright 2020.
1: All rights reserved. Original music was created and performed by Aaron Emerson of Emerson Studios. Clips are used under fair use doctrine for the purpose of commentary and parody. Please see our website at livefrompony.com for more details or to contact us.